Hello and welcome to Mash Mouth, a podcast covering every single episode of the hit 1970 sitcom, Mash. I'm Ethan. And I'm Vanessa. Vanessa, today's episode involves Frank sleeping for a crazy amount of time. So I wanted to ask you if you have any experience with like sleeping through the whole day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I do. um, And I think I might have told this story on the podcast before. But um, during Hurricane Sandy, it wasn't like sleeping through the entire day, but I did sleep through the majority of Hurricane Sandy when it tore through our hometown. I was asleep through the entire thing. (laughs) My house was apparently shaking. Several shingles came off of my roof. I did not hear a single thing. Nothing whatsoever. I slept through the entire thing. (laughs) Wow. That was like slightly before we became friends. I don't think that you've ever mentioned that to me before. That's so funny. (laughs) My, this is a tangent within a tangent, but my experience with Hurricane Sandy was my mom and I were watching Young Frankenstein because it was like (laughs) October 20th or something and the power cut out and we're like, well, I guess that's it. And the power didn't come out for a few days, didn't come back on for a few days. (laughs) That's so tragic. So did you ever finish Young Frankenstein? Eventually, yes. But it was like literally in the middle of the movie. It was like (laughs) at the put it on the rich scene. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, the best part. Oh, man, that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's a really funny story. I mean, I wish I had that experience. That's like the best way to experience a natural disaster just (laughs) to avoid it. Um, I don't really have much experience with sleeping through the entire day. Unless I'm very, very ill. Um, but my experience with sleeping is funny because I will wake up at 7.30 every morning unless I am like desperately in need of sleep. And I don't even set an alarm or anything. I just do it. So like there was one time as like a child that I woke up on a school day at like 12.30 in the afternoon and I felt fine. And I went to my mom and it's like, why am I home? It's like Wednesday. And she was like, well, you were asleep and you're like never asleep. So I just wanted to let you sleep. And I was like, oh, that's so kind. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet that she just let you sleep. Oh my gosh. If that was my mom, she would have like thrown pillows at me. (laughs) and was like time to get up. (laughs) Again, keep in mind that I almost never need to be woken up as a child. (laughs) That's true. Also, I am notorious for oversleeping, as you can attest (laughs) to all of our listeners on this podcast. I oversleep quite a lot. (laughs) Whenever we're planning to record this podcast, if I don't hear from Vanessa at the scheduled time that we're going to record, I am almost always correct in assuming that she is asleep. (laughs) Yeah, I would say that 99.99999% of the time I am asleep (laughs) when we are supposed to be recording. So... For a little behind-the-scenes action for you. It doesn't matter when. It could be at 10 in the morning. It could be at 4 in the afternoon. She's asleep if I don't hear from her. I take a lot of naps. So, (laughs) Speaking of frequent naps that last a while, (laughs) let's get into this episode, shall we? Sounds great. In this episode, Dirtag, at the insistence of Colonel Potter, Hawkeye and BJ show Frank some rare kindness and invite him out for a night of drinking. But of course, things go awry when a prank goes wrong and Frank ends up on the front lines. Vanessa, what did you think about this episode? This episode was cute. I had a good time watching this episode. It wasn't groundbreaking 
but it was it, I still had fun with it. Yeah, this one is a, a like a fun vibes episode. I like that they were like nice to Frank and that Frank really didn't do much wrong in this episode. This is like a rare Frank as good guy story. There's one thing with uh, Nurse Kelly in like the very beginning where he's kind of a jerk to her. But otherwise, Frank kind of wins in the end. Like he kind of <laughs> gets like a happy ending for once in an episode. Like that's pretty rare. Well, I don't think that it was super duper happy, but we'll we'll get into why as we discuss <laughs> the episode. But I agree with you that Frank was kind of just like annoying in this episode but not in his usual annoying way he was just more of like an inconvenience for bj and hawkeye at this point he wasn't like frank burns annoying he was just like minor inconvenience annoying which is kind of a refreshing step for frank there is annoying frank that is like a xenophobic weirdo guy who like (laughs) hates everything and there's child frank who's like a weird petty little middle school kid And this had, like, vibes of petty little middle school kid, (laughs) where it's even, the plot of this is basically their dad makes Hawkeye and BJ play with a kid that they don't like. (laughs) That's basically the plot of the episode. Yeah, I, my analogy was, like, a teacher who was talking to his, like, favorite student saying, like, hey, be nice to the weird kid for once. (laughs) Yeah, show show some kindness. Play with him on the playground. (laughs) So why don't we dive a little bit deeper into this this episode that we both enjoyed? Yes. So I liked how this started um, with Margaret away at a conference uh, and Frank calling mm-hmm. her just because I don't know. I think that we have mentioned this several times in this show before, but I, I always like when a character is out of the camp for any reason. You get to like see out of the camp and this didn't follow Margaret at all, but this phone call with her and Frank had her at this nurse's conference. And we see a scene of her talking on the phone with Frank at the conference. Mm-hmm. I like that Margaret is quietly beginning a relationship with a guy named Fred. <laughs> I kind of wanted to know if Fred would come back if like, because I know that Margaret gets into another relationship after Frank uh, leaves the show. So I quietly want uh, Fred to be the guy who reappears to sweep (laughs) Margaret off her feet. Because he sounds like a pretty interesting guy, I'm not going to lie. He knows Japanese. He has a samurai sword. That sounds kind (laughs) of cool. Seems like a fun guy. That seems like a step up from Frank Burns, honestly, who doesn't have a samurai sword. Yeah. (laughs) There are two kinds of guys in this world. One that has a samurai sword and one that doesn't. (laughs) Which one are you dating? (laughs) I think that also um, what was interesting to me about this scene, too, was that Margaret did not sound like she missed Frank all that much. She sounded like she was talking to one of her girlfriends. You know what I mean? Like That's true. She was not demure at all when it came to talking about this Mm -hmm. guy, Fred. Like, usually we would pick up on some hints, not so subtle hints that the audience couldn't pick up on, but that Frank apparently couldn't pick up on in prior seasons. When Margaret, like, either had a sexual relationship with somebody else besides Frank or, like, was planning on sleeping with somebody else, et cetera, et cetera. And in this episode, she didn't make it any, like, less obvious. You know what I mean? She made it pretty Mm -hmm. obvious, I think, that she she was hanging out with this guy, Fred, and she wasn't really being subtle about it at all. So I thought that that was was a pretty interesting shift we got going on for Margaret there. Even the framing of how Margaret is on the phone when they cut to her 
is very like schoolgirl talking on the phone, you know, mm-hmm. and not to her boyfriend, just kind of like slumber party schoolgirl. <laughs> yes. At least you know the the one that I see in movies. You know, I've I haven't been a schoolgirl at a slumber party, <laughs> um, but that kind of vibe and her her talking was very casual. And like I like that her and Frank weren't fighting in this episode. That like there wasn't a lot of conflict about this guy Fred. Frank was just kind of like, hmm, Fred exists. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, but he's great. Don't worry about him. It wasn't like, oh, how dare you see this man Fred behind my back? It was it was a very, like, light. Like, this whole episode has very light vibes, and I like that that kind of begins here because um, it makes just Frank a whole lot more likable. Yeah, I do think that it was a good choice for the writers to not make Frank really like overly jealous in this episode because that would have just kind of contributed to that more like annoying Frank and this episode didn't really like lend to that. Um, so I did I did appreciate the writers just like scale back that like anger and jealousy that we have seen from Frank before. Mm-hmm. But one last thing about this part of the episode because it was a pretty quick scene and this is this is not new. I've mentioned this before, but I do think it's really interesting to see this like kind of decline in Frank and Margaret's relationship, Um, because in this scene where he's on the phone with Margaret, you really see him like kind of grasping at straws here. And I think that it would have been really interesting to kind of like see that development also from Margaret's side, too. Like we see a lot of Mm -hmm. Frank kind of like becoming upset. And even though the jealousy isn't overplayed in this episode it's still there and he makes reference to it like he's worried about this fred character yeah and i just thought that that it would be like really interesting to see margaret pulling back and like the ways that she pulls back on screen too instead of just following frank um spoiler alert we don't really get that (laughs) that much um in the rest of this season um so yeah so that was just something that i noted in response to that, I wanted to say that you do kind of see Margaret pull back by having somewhat a relationship with this guy, Fred, whatever kind of relationship it may be. But then I remembered that she has, in fact, just slept with other people while dating <laughs> Frank. Like, she's she's definitely been with a few generals here and there. So, like, her seeing Fred is kind of on par with how she treats this relationship as she kind of should because it's not a serious relationship you know um so yeah i understand what you're saying maybe the casualness of her talking about fred with him is like a sign of she doesn't take frank that seriously anymore you know what i mean maybe that is like the subtle thing here if you want to be very charitable yeah i think so i think that um the writers are dropping these like hints about their relationship like i said um the progression is definitely there and seeing it like seeing it chronologically you definitely kind of pick up on that vibe a little bit more mm-hmm. but yeah i think that i think that my point though was more like i'd like to see how margaret is kind of like dealing with it on screen you know what i mean because a lot of it yeah. is how frank is handling this off-screen subtlety of margaret like kind of pulling back from their relationship and you don't really see mm-hmm. like the opposite end of that much on screen and i guess spoiler alert because like men in the 70s didn't know how to write that i guess um but yeah so that that's the only thing that i think that i was like kind of wanting more of in in this part of of the episode i feel you supposedly margaret does get better but i'm waiting to see (laughs) you know that whether or not she does and i'm just waiting with cautious optimism but 
let's go from that to kind of the only scene in the episode where Frank is like flat out annoying and his usual like bad self this this operation scene where um he's just getting on everybody's nerves including berating nurse kelly for dropping a scalpel or something when he actually dropped it it was a whole convoluted frank is upset thing what do you think about this this was funny because it came right off of the heels of that phone conversation with margaret so you definitely got the reason why he was so angry and upset and pissing everybody mm-hmm. off in in this scene and this really drove the main plot of the episode where Colonel Potter afterwards says to BJ and Hawkeye, hey, listen, Frank is being really insufferable because Margaret's away at this conference. Obviously, she doesn't want to be his girlfriend anymore. (laughs) So can you guys please just be nice to him so that we can all deal with him a little bit better? And I just loved that this was the kickoff where Colonel Potter was just like, hey, listen, I got to work peacefully in the OR and Frank is not making that happen for me. No, definitely. I really like this setup. Like I said, it's it's very school child, you know, kind of thing. But I love that Colonel Potter, as commanding officer, like has that much investment in their like interpersonal lives to say, like, this is the solution. We have to be nice to this guy where I feel like, you know, Henry would have just kind of ignored it and like yelled at Frank. But Colonel Potter's like trying to solve it. He's trying to figure out like the the road forward here rather than accepting that as like status quo and i like that even though uh he's only known him for like a few months um him and bj were both like this guy's insufferable <laughs> and I, we don't know how to deal with him and hawkeye's like oh buddy i've been dealing with him for 100 years completely ignoring the fact that you know The timeline for MASH is a little funky. I thought that was a funny way to obscure how long they've actually been in Korea. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that it was, um, to your point about Colonel Potter kind of like solving the issue, I think that it was really, again, telling about his character that he was like, okay, how do we problem solve this? What's the solution here? Mm -hmm. Uh, As opposed to Henry, who did say to like, Hawkeye and Trapper, hey, can you like lay off of Frank so that he's like, you know, less annoying to all of us? Mm -hmm. And of course, that did not happen. But I feel like this is the first time that we kind of saw prompting from a commanding officer like, hey, why don't you try to be friends with Frank? There must be something that you guys get along about or something that you guys have in common. Come on, just try it. Where, as I said before, Henry was like, hey, Try to lighten up with Frank. I know it's hard, but try. (laughs) That's it. I like this, like, contrast between Henry's, like, inaction of, hey, just stop being such, like, nuisance to him. And Colonel Potter saying, like, hey, try to be more friendly to him. Like, there's a clear difference there in relationship. And I like how they try to actually bond with Frank by inviting him to this like poker game. I thought this poker game scene was so fun. I love any time that they're gambling on screen. What can I say? Um and I, I like slowly the warming up of Frank in that usual, oh my God, people actually like to have me around kind of way. <laughs> what do, what do you think about this? <laughs> this was a beautiful scene, just through and through so beautiful because When Frank enters the tent and 
everybody is playing poker in the swamp. Colonel Potter, like, basically, like, nudges Hawkeye and BJ and is like, hey, hey, this is your opportunity. Like, be nice to Frank. Invite him to play. And that, first of all, was hysterical. And then when Hawkeye just says very basically, like, oh, hey, Frank. And Frank just immediately goes, I don't have to take that. And Hawkeye turns to Colonel Potter with this look on his face. It's just like, see, you can't be nice to this man. And it was and Colonel Potter just still like gestured. It was very physical comedy. I absolutely yeah. loved it. Um, It was really good. And then to see Frank warm up immediately, it was actually kind of sad because like you show Frank a modicum of like niceness, modicum. friendship, anything. And he's just like, you guys are my besties. Yeah. No, I love Frank in the scene so much because it's it's Frank warming up and also getting drunk off of very little alcohol. <laughs> no, I no. Are you kidding Frank. me? He like dr- he downed like three drinks in the course of a minute. Like I was surprised I mean, at yeah, his tolerance. It was crazy. <laughs> See, I don't drink, so I don't really I was just like, oh, martinis are are small, right? You can drink <laughs> a lot of them before you get drunk. No, you cannot, actually. <laughs> that would make more sense. Yeah. Especially their, are their martinis. Are you kidding? <laughs> That's what I mean. It's just like you see Hawkeye and BJ sipping the martinis for a reason. Frank just downing them like they're water, which like objectively they are water because, you know, they're not actually martinis. But <laughs> Frank just downing them like that was so funny. And then literally he was drunk in under a minute. Truly like. A minute flat, he was just wasted out of his mind. And like we always say, drunk Frank, sick Frank is the best Frank. Yes. The superior Frank, Frank without his inhibitions, when he's just reduced to a a child who wants attention, I think is so fun. Just Larry Linville's performance in this episode, I think, is incredible. Um, I love his drunk acting. He's got such a fun vibe to him. I wanted to hang out with drunk Frank more than regular Frank by a mile. <laughs> um, I, I greatly enjoyed it. And I, I like that we learn a few things about drunk Frank that maybe he wouldn't say um, if he was sober Frank because they go to like the officers club after this poker game. And we find out that Frank actually has a bit of a crush on Nurse Kelly, which despite the the weirdness in the beginning of the episode, I thought was delightful. I love Frank just having a crush on anybody but Margaret, but also him <laughs> kind of being afraid to say it, you know, not being like Mr. Alpha male about it. He's just like, oh, she's cute. I thought it was really fun. Yeah, I did think that it was kind of sweet that Frank cut in after Radar was dancing with Kelly and after he told Hawkeye and BJ that he really thought that Kelly was cute. Um, I think his words were hotsy totsy, which is kind of demeaning, but I also think it's really funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's far worse ways to describe a woman than hotsy totsy. <laughs> um, yeah, they've described Margaret in many, many worse phrases. <laughs> but that being said, I I think that I enjoyed this a little bit less than you because I was like, damn, get Frank away from Kelly. She's too pure for him. <laughs> that is also true. I, I'm not saying that I want Frank and Kelly to date. I'm I'm just saying that I like schoolyard Frank of being like, oh, but she's cute, though. I thought that was like adorable. And, you know, 
even the scene in the beginning with him like berating her for like the scalpel thing, you can totally frame that as him being like an immature middle school kid who like bullies the girl that he likes. I don't know. I mean, that's not good as grown adults. But if you frame Frank as a child trapped in an adult's body, I don't know. I think it's pretty funny. (laughs) It is funny. When I watched this episode the first time, I was super duper uncomfortable with this. Maybe just because like I know Kelly a little bit more. She gets like some more prominent storylines. I'm excited for that. Yeah. She gets some more prominent storylines in the next few seasons um, or in the seasons to come, I should say. I don't know when exactly it happens. But on second rewatch, I was like, okay, this is like, I, I, I could like kind of see this, but also keep Kelly away from Frank. She is too good for him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I agree. It is not good. He, she should not be with Frank. However, I think Frank is just kind of cute in this episode. This is a cute Frank. This is the one Frank that doesn't annoy me. He's actually pretty okay in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I I thought that Frank had a surprising lack of insufferability in this episode, which really got me yeah. thinking, too, about uh, something that Larry Linville said, and we've mentioned this previously as well, that, you know, Frank couldn't really change to become a better person because that would just kind of make him Hawkeye, you know? And mm-hmm. I just wonder if that's true. You know what I mean? In this episode, yeah. like you kind of see the ability that Frank Burns might have if he was, I guess, a better person. <laughs> um, or like you can c- almost see the better person lurking beneath the surface in this episode, you know, and, and we've seen it in episodes prior to where Frank is kind of like, overcompensating by being a jerk but then like you peel back the surface a little bit and he is just like upset and doesn't have friends and was probably bullied as Mm -hmm. a kid and (laughs) didn't have the best like childhood and stuff like that but I think that if the writers and of course Larry Linville too because he had to he had to play the character um yeah I think that if Larry Linville and the writers had wanted to they could have turned Frank into a slightly better person over the course of the rest of the series if Larry Linville had chosen to stay um, because you can kind of see where the character like had these ins to like be friendly and cordial and stuff like that. So I don't know. I That, that just, the, this episode just really got me thinking about that. I think the, like the idea that if Frank became a better person, he would just become Hawkeye or he would like lose his place in the show is like a very 70s kind of sitcom thinking of like how to write like very rigid every character serves a very specific purpose and if they don't serve that purpose they're like useless where i think nowadays even in sitcoms you do see characters more evolve and change their place over the course of like the series um but i don't know maybe it's just the fact that like the time period that it was made in that like not even saying that the writing is bad necessarily, just very different culture around how to write comedy Mm -hmm. that if they were to drastically change Frank, if they were to give him a more solid character arc, his like comedy engine kind of stalls. Like he's kind of over in terms of like what they can do with him. So it, it makes more sense at that time to like bring in a new character than changed the dynamic like significantly with this older one because you don't want to like upset people who are like 
accustomed to how he used to be. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I'm kind of talking out my butt here. I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out as I say it. No, I, I definitely agree with you. And I think that that is so much of the beauty of the character that comes in to replace Frank and also just highlights how unfortunate it is that Larry Linville had to like kind of be Frank Burns. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because that writing style was kind of changing in the late 70s into the 80s when the next character comes in and then also his character just lent a lot more believability that he would kind of soften or change for the good or something along those lines mm-hmm. than Frank's character kind of ever really would so it it makes sense it's just so unfortunate that poor Larry Linville couldn't have a character arc because of like the yeah. character of Frank Burns and also like you said, the the culture of writing sitcoms at that point. Maybe we'll link this in the description. The other day I did watch an interview with Larry Linville and Loretta Swit from like the 70s or 80s, where both of them are so charming and charismatic and like lovely. And, you know, you're just like, oh, too bad they were stuck playing these like miserable people. And they talk about that a lot. Um, but yeah, this episode... I I also thought about that, that Larry Linville is like this very charming guy who had to like restrain himself in so many ways to play the buffoon. And I I do wish that he he had the opportunity to grow. But unfortunately, just the way things are, you know, I'm excited to see the character that replaces him because I have no familiarity with him at all. I have no idea what his personality is like. I just know that he's played by David Ogden Steers. That is my extent of knowledge. And I'm I'm excited to see how these dynamics change with the introduction of that new character. Well, we do have some time left still with Frank Burns. And we have some other things to cover in this episode. Yes. Like the toe tag that... BJ and Hawkeye put on Frank and then sent him to the front lines accidentally. So why don't we talk yes. about that? Uh, this was a crazy, not B-plot, because it is continuing the being nice to Frank Burns story, but it's a wild swerve that I did not see coming, even though this episode is called Dirtag. And let me just say, I loved actually seeing a prank on Frank for once. I feel like they're all off screen, at least since the first few seasons. I feel like this is the first time we got to see BJ and Hawkeye really get up to some shenanigans with no positive (laughs) outcome. And I am here for it. I loved how much they were like enjoying this. What's so funny is that they didn't even mean to do this, really. Like, mm-hmm. the toe tag thing, yes, they definitely did this in kind of like a drunken haze type of thing. But getting Frank to the front lines was actually not something that BJ and Hawkeye planned no. <laughs> to do, which is so funny because I do feel like that potentially could have been something that they very much intentionally were going to do in, like, the earlier seasons. Like, I could definitely yes. see Hawkeye and Trapper doing this. Hawkeye and BJ, not so much. (laughs) If they were doing it intentionally, this would definitely be up there with stealing Frank's blood (laughs) as a prank. Um, This would be an all-timer. But as their prank is, all they do is put the toe tag on him, and it says, emotionally exhausted, 
and morally repugnant or something it like says, that. It says emotionally exhausted and morally bankrupt, which honestly morally bankrupt. Put on my toe tag. That's what I am. <laughs> yes, iconic, a delight. I want it on a t-shirt. That's a great <laughs> phrase. It's beautiful. That that represents so much of the modern day. <laughs> I, yeah, this was hysterical. Um, And like we said, they don't send Frank to the front lines and the aid station intentionally, right? Mm -hmm. What happens is Frank actually stumbles out of bed, very drunk, looking to go to the bathroom. And when he comes out of the bathroom, he accidentally collapses and falls asleep in an evac van that just happens to be outside of the latrine. (laughs) And they, the EMTs, just have to rush back to the aid station and they accidentally take Frank, who is passed out drunk, in the back of the evac bus with them back to the aid station. And what's so funny about this is that Colonel Potter, in the morning when Radar cannot find Frank at all, he thinks that Hawkeye and BJ did something to Frank. He's like, all right, all right, guys, the jig is up. Where did you put Frank? (laughs) Yeah, like... I don't know what Colonel Potter is thinking, but he's, like, thinking along the lines that, like, they set him free in the woods or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, like, I so could, it is very funny that they're not responsible for this in any way. I could definitely see why Colonel Potter would think that with, like, all the pranks that we know that they pulled on him. Um, they definitely could have, like, buried him up to his neck somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's just, like, in the woods, like you said, somewhere. Just can't get out of the situation. <laughs> But then, of course, Colonel Potter gets a call from the aid station and says, hey, so I have a guy here and he's got a toe tag on and says emotionally exhausted and morally bankrupt. I think he's one of yours. And Colonel Potter's yeah. like, yep, that's me. <laughs> How they describe Frank, I thought was really funny. This guy is like, you know, this guy, he's like skinny, has no chin, etc. and so forth. <laughs> um, I just love that that no matter who he comes in contact with, Frank is always described as having no chin, and I do not think that's a particularly prominent feature (laughs) of Larry Linville's face, so you kind of have to, like, imagine chinless Frank, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, no chin and no lips, and I think that, like, that's just, that's that's such an iconic thing about Frank, is, like, chinless, lipless, ferret face. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I I really like this little subplot that emerges in the second half. I think it's really funny, and it doesn't last long enough for my liking. This could have been an entire episode, in my opinion. This could have been a part one, part two situation, where part two is entirely the adventure to get Frank. I thought that could have been a delightful time. But in the episode, it's actually pretty quick. Yeah, so for context... Colonel Potter gets this call from the aid station, says that Frank is there and that they can't really bring him back because, first of all, he's still passed out drunk. And second of all, they're coming under um, heavy fire and they have a lot of wounded that they have to deal with. So Colonel Potter, of course, elects BJ and Hawkeye to go get Frank. And they... It's very funny. (laughs) Which is hysterical because, honestly, it is partially their fault. Um, Although, I guess... Kind of not really. It's not really their fault, if I'm being completely honest. The question is, would they have driven off if he had the tag or not? If he didn't have the tag and they didn't go off, like, then it is their fault. But if they would have just driven off whether or not he had a tag, I think that gives them culpability. 
I don't know. It's it's one of those things we'll never know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think that I think that if anybody was going to go get Frank, it would have had to be Hawkeye and BJ because honestly, who else is going to go get him? So when Hawkeye and BJ show up at the aid station, they are under a lot of heavy fire. And I thought that this scene was just really great for several continuity reasons. One, Frank is, in fact, still sleeping when pieces of the roof are coming down on him. And I just think that that lends credence to the episode where they steal Frank's blood because he does, in fact... He's a heavy sleeper! Yeah, he can, in fact, sleep through anything. And, I mean, you can relate to it because you slept through Hurricane Sandy. There you go. So it all works out. There you go. Um... No, I love that he's still asleep. That's so funny to me. Like, the worst version of this episode is, like, Frank wakes up and he's irate. No, I love, like, sleeping baby Frank that he is just (laughs) a rock. (laughs) He is essentially dead to the world (laughs) because he is asleep. Hilarious. Um, I also really like that BJ uh, gets his first experience uh, in an aid station, which I imagine you're going to bring up. Um, But... It's a, it's a great thing. It just adds a little bit more to this otherwise, like, very light episode that, like, this is, like, a character thing for him. I, I really liked it. Yeah, that was the other continuity thing that I really liked about this episode was that, of co- first of all, of course, Hawkeye and BJ are jumping into the action, even though they're there to collect Frank. Of course, mm-hmm. these amazing guys are going to be jumping in wherever they can to help. So I thought that it was really interesting Um, the contrast between Hawkeye and BJ in this aid station, um, because it lends that continuity that Hawkeye had helped out at an aid station prior. And you see Hawkeye kind of diagnosing and then getting them stable and then going on to the next patient, right? And then Mm -hmm. BJ says, oh, get me some sutures. And the, the captain of the aid station has to be like, hey, listen, this is not a MASH unit. You cannot start like operating on this guy here. You have to get them stable and then get them out. And I thought that that was just like a really interesting thing to include, knowing that Hawkeye has aid station experience. I truly loved that one line. It doesn't really fall into our favorite lines category, but if I had to choose favorite line of the episode, it's specifically that. Um, I That just adds so much to the actual like character and the storytelling that like they remembered that BJ is so new to this. So like he wouldn't know how to deal with this situation, especially that it's so short that it's not like the remainder of the episode. Like this is just a short scene and and then they're back home. This is not like the central conflict, but I love that this is something that BJ had to learn and it's something that they like remark upon when they're home. It's just that added so much to this episode for me. Yeah, I think that really just, I know that we talk about how great the writers are all the time but i really yeah. <laughs> just do think that the writer is just takes so much care with the episode to like include those things that the audience does pick up on you know i mean like i know that nobody mm-hmm. was watching it as critically as we are but it's just it's just a really good testament to how good the writers are and the craft of writing yeah that they were trying to make it rewarding for people paying attention yeah that is like the difference between good writing and fine writing, mm-hmm. you know, when they actually do care enough to put in those little details. Yeah, absolutely. So after this scene, of course, they get Frank back to the 4077 without incident. 
and um, just get him back into the swamp. And then Hawkeye and BJ pass out. But then Frank, well-rested Frank, not hungover at all mm-hmm. Frank, because he's just slept for like 14 hours, is, is up so and at funny. him, ready to go, ready to do his hospital shift. He's just, he's back. And it was kind of sad mm-hmm. because he was just like, hey, guys. And Hawkeye and BJ were so annoyed at that point because they had to go get him from the aid station. And he was like, why do you hate me again? And it was so sad. <laughs> this was the funniest possible resolution to the episode ever. I love that he didn't actually do anything to annoy them. They're just tired. <laughs> I love that they're just tired. And Frank is like, hey, what's up, pals? How are we doing today? And they're like, go to sleep, Frank. I'm tired. <laughs> And it was so sad because he was like, I was popular. I know I was popular. <laughs> yeah, he's like trying to confirm to himself that it wasn't a dream, you know? <laughs> and Fra- er, and Hawkeye like jokes that it was a dream. But like Frank's fragile mental state might legitimately get him to believe that it was. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it. It, it was kind of heartbreaking to see the end of the episode like that. And also mm-hmm. like. I'm truly wondering if they actually told Frank, hey, this, listen, this is what happened, or if they just let him believe that nothing happened, that they just went back to hating him at the at the, <laughs> at the the end of this little adventure that they had. That them liking him was like a wonderful dream. Like he went to the Wizard of Oz and he had to wake <laughs> up back in Kansas. Um, that would be so funny. Yeah, because honestly, they if they told him, they told him off screen because there's there's just no mention of it after after this little bit is over and uh this episode actually ends with like frank and margaret reuniting and at first it's all very lovey-dovey but then you know frank has to go to work so the actual last scene of the episode is them kind of cooled down back to their usual like kind of where we're falling off this relationship and Margaret is like very openly talking about uh Fred, her her lovely friend. And I, I just like that that like this is a quiet reset, um, where it's not like a hard status quo thing. Like Frank didn't mess up anything ever in this episode, but like the poor man is doomed just to be somewhat unhappy <laughs> for his time in Korea. <laughs> yeah, I thought that it was interesting that they originally had Frank and Margaret kind of like reuniting and being so happy to see each other and then sowing the seeds of it still not being perfect. And I thought that it was interesting, this comment that BJ made in the very last scene of saying, oh, like trouble in paradise or something like that. Like other other people are starting to see the cracks Mm -hmm. in their relationship now. So so I, I definitely I overuse the word interesting, but it is very interesting to me. It is very interesting. I don't think that there's a better word for it. You're like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> Miranda Cosgrove where... sipping. <laughs> where, mm, where is this going? I know, but you don't. So I'm glad that you're also interested. Yeah, thank you. So, Ethan, do you have any favorite lines from this episode besides the aid station one? My favorite comedy line in this episode is that when Frank downs several martinis, <laughs> Colonel Potter is very concerned about him, and he just goes, don't worry about me, sir. I have a hollow head. Delightful. <laughs> that describes Frank to a T. 
Great. Love that one. (laughs) That also goes to something that Colonel Potter said in a few previous episodes where he said, what did he say about Frank? He said that he had a he had a Charlie horse in his head or something like that. Right, right. (laughs) A lot of stuff going on in Frank's brain. Oh, poor Frank. My favorite line was um, (laughs) when Colonel Potter gets off the phone with the captain from the aid station and he says, they do not deliver. And BJ says, can they hold him on layaway? (laughs) That's really good. Amazing. (laughs) I also want to use this time to briefly shout out some things that we didn't get to mention in our episode discussion that I'll, I'll mention very quickly. I love that BJ got Hawkeye and him before they go out traveling, some Fig Newton. That's just funny to me. That's just like a delightful thing for him to get. I don't know. That gave me a lot of joy. And I love when the EMT van shows up, Klinger's reaction to it as he's standing guard is to lunge down into a sort of split and like sing opera at it. That was just so <laughs> funny to me. And it never comes up again. It was kind of out of nowhere. Like, why was he doing that? <laughs> He was just feeling himself, man. He was uh, having a good time. You got to keep yourself entertained. I guess so. I guess so. So, Vanessa, do you have any trivia for us in this episode? I do. I have trivia about Joe Morton Jr., who played Captain Saunders, the aid station captain, in this episode. Yes, our one guest star. I think he's our first guest star in a good long while. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So I just want to preface this by saying that I had no idea that I was going to have as much trivia as I do Mm -hmm. on Mr. Joe Morton Jr., but I was blown away by this trivia. Okay. I'm so excited to get your reaction here. Okay. (laughs) So Morton was born in 1947 in Harlem and studied drama at Hofstra University. As a child, Morton was an altar boy and actually considered becoming a priest before becoming an actor. I feel like that's an unusually common path. I feel like everybody's either considering religion or acting. (laughs) Yeah, apparently. Morton had an extensive theater career. He debuted in the musical Hair and was nominated for a Tony Award for Best Actor for his role in the musical Raisin. Hair is already huge, my goodness. Yeah. And Morton had a really extensive career in both TV and film. And this is the part of my research that I was just blown away by seeing the amount of things that this man was in. And I had no idea that this was him in this episode. I was shocked. Okay. So for TV, he guested in shows such as Sanford and Son, Miami Vice, Who's the Boss, Law and Order, The Good Wife, White Collar, Grace and Frankie. And that's just to name a few. He's been a guest star in so many. Grace and Frankie so recent. Good for him. Yeah. Morton has also been the star of several TV shows recently, including God Friended Me and Our Kind of People. And he was also in Scandal, for which he won an Emmy Award for Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series in 2014. My mom watched Scandal every week. I'm going to have to ask who this guy is. Um, She loved that show. He played Olivia Pope's father, the main character's father in this. And I know, I know, I never watched Scandal, but it was like a huge thing when her dad came back. It was like the thing that shattered TV in 2014. I remember that. Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) And also for movies, he's been in a ton, a lot of which I personally love. Okay, so we'll go through. Okay. He was in a really small role in Injustice for All, which is my favorite Al Pacino movie. (laughs) 
I was going to comment in your Al Pacino love, but I had to stop myself. <laughs> um, I love that that's your favorite Al Pacino movie. <laughs> of course it is. I mean, come on. You can't not love Injustice for All. He was also in Terminator 2 of Mice and Men, Speed, Apt People, which is based off of a Stephen King short story, which is one of my favorite Stephen King short stories. The only book that has ever gave me nightmares. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yes. He was also in the movie Ali, American Gangster, and and he was in the Snyder Cut of the Justice League movie as well. So man's in the Snyder Cut. Yes. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) The Snyder Cut is good, actually, because this man is in it. (laughs) I have yet to uh, watch the Snyder Cut. I'm not a big DC Universe fan. but One day I will plop down for four hours of the Snyder (laughs) Cut to see this guy. (laughs) It's apparently the better version of the movie. Anyway, so. Morton is still alive and he is still working, if that wasn't abundantly clear from all the recent stuff that he's done. I know that I didn't name everything that he's been in, but this man had an extensive career. And I was shocked when I saw all the movies that I know him from and all the TV shows that I know him from. Oh, it was so great. Especially that he is apparently in a few of your favorites. I think that's really fun. Yes, he is. I When I saw that he was also in uh, Terminator 2, I was shocked. I was like, oh my God, I know him. I know him. <laughs> I've actually never seen Terminator 2. That's like a big blind spot for me. Something that must be rectified. Yes, we will have to rectify this immediately. (laughs) Okay, I will do that. So, Ethan, what was your martini rating for this episode? Well, I think it's a little more than Frank drank in this episode. (laughs) I'm giving this a 3.5 out of 10. I think this is a 3.5 out of 10, huh? Oh my God, okay. never mind. Okay. I'm giving this a. Sure. <laughs> I think I'm giving this a 3.5 out of 5. I think this is a solid 7 out of 10. I really enjoyed it. Um, It wasn't like a spectacular episode, but it definitely was kind of on the upper end of the scale. So I originally gave this a 2.5 <laughs> because it's what just. What the heck? It just like didn't. It, It didn't really do much for me when I was watching it, but then when I was discussing it with you, I think that I would definitely give this a three out of five. Wow. Wow. Okay. So the exact same that Frank drank. Uh, Beautiful. Yes. Poetry. It rhymes. (laughs) So just to wrap up, we'd like to give thanks to you, Jacob, for your back covering our technical consultant, Vanessa's sister, Melissa, for awesome cover art, and of course, our listeners. Links to our music, social media, and contact the show are in the description, as always. And join us next week for Season 4, Episode 19, Hawkeye. But until then, don't mark your co-workers for dead when they're wasted. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Bye, everyone. I just like that you, in our outline, give it Frank at the front lines TM. (laughs) The little tiny TM. So you went through the effort to, like, code TM into the document. I did, in fact, because Frank at the front is just like, that should be a TV show. You know what I mean? Yeah. If there was ever a MASH TV movie, that would be the TV movie. (laughs)